This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for Episode 81 is psychologist and historian Dr. Angela Graf-Nold in Zurich, Switzerland. She holds a PhD in psychology from the University of Zurich, where she studied the history of psychology and psychotherapy. Her doctoral dissertation was a biography of the first Freudian child analyst. It was published in German in 1988 under the title The Case of Hermione Hug Helmuth, A History of Psychoanalysis. Dr. Grafnold spent four years as a research fellow at the University of Zurich's Department of Psychopathology of Children and Adolescents, where she focused on the role of women in the development of psychotherapy for children. She then went on to practice as a clinical psychotherapist in Constance, Germany, under the Professional Association of German Psychologists. During that period, she spent one year at the Psychiatric Clinic of the University of Zurich, known as the Berg-Holsley Clinic, studying epidemiology and archival science. From 2004 to 2010, she worked as a research scholar for the Philemon Foundation at the Museum of the History of Medicine at the University of Zurich, where she edited the 13-semester lecture course delivered by C.G. Jung at the Swiss Federal Institute for Technology, known as the ETH, where Jung was appointed a professor in 1935. Dr. graf Nold is the author of several book chapters and articles, most recently The Zurich School of Psychiatry in Theory and Practice, Sabina Spielrein's Treatment at the Berg-Holsley Clinic in Zurich, included in the book Sabina Spielrein, Forgotten Pioneer of Psychoanalysis, and Switzerland's Intimate Tragedy, Jung's Basic Roughness, Count Kaiserling's Encounter with Jung and Switzerland, in the book Europe's Many Souls, Exploring Cultural Complexes and Identities. In a postlude to the 2011 Zurich Lecture Series at the International School of Analytical Psychology, known as ISAP Zurich, she co-presented the four-part lecture, Jung's Association Experiment and the Psychogalvanic Phenomena, Historical Context, Demonstration, Clinical Narratives, and Applications. The following year, she co-presented a demonstration, the Psychogalvanic Phenomena, with a reassembly of some of the equipment used by Jung, along with Franz Botcher at the 2012 AGAP Forum, Psyche and Time. From 2013 to 2018, Dr. Graf Nold was a lecturer at the C.G. Jung Institute Zurich, where she presented C.G. Jung's association experiments with the galvanometer, a turning point in psychological science and in his own intellectual history, and it is the subject of our talk today. Please visit the website speakingofjung.com, where you will find links to everything discussed in this episode in the show notes. This interview is being recorded on Monday, March 1st, 2021, through the magic of Zoom. Hi, Dr. Grafnold. Hi, Laura. Um, excuse me, I have two uh, corrections. About yes, please. About <laughs> First, I worked for two years at uh, Bokholsley. Perhaps it's important. That's not only one, because it was from January to the December of the second year. Okay. Um, the next is um, 
the Philemon uh, Foundation work. Uh, I didn't edit yet the lectures because they are forthcoming, edited from someone else. But I made the prelim preliminary work for that. I uh, transcribed uh, things and. So those are the Eteha lectures being published by the Philemon Foundation, correct? Yes. And some of them have been published already, right? Yes, the first volume has published, yes. The second volume of the second semester would have um, many about experiments, association experiments, but I don't know whether it's now released. Okay, so I will provide a link to the page on the Philemon Foundation's website about Jung's Eteha lectures in the show notes for this episode. Yes. And so your work with them, are you finished or w will you continue? No, I'm finished in uh, 10 years, more than 10 years ago. It ended in 2010. I research in the ETA archives with the original documents of these lectures, which I put together from several sources and made the text a German text. But it is not published, yes. They're unpublished. That's why the work is being done to transcribe them and edit them and publish them? Yes. Jung stepped back from the university career in, 2000, in 1913 uh, when he split with Freud and came into the crisis, which uh, is documented in the Red Book and Black Books. Mm -hmm. And... Um, then in 1933, he had the idea he could, he could lecture again, but not at the university, but at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology at that time, because he had some friends there mm -hmm. who uh, recommended him. And um, so he did it, and he was, an, he was a lecturer for psychology, for modern psychology, not for psychotherapy, but so common uh, psychology. And he began with uh, common ideas about psych psychology. But in the course of the lectures for about 10 years, uh, it became more and more about his own psychology, what he did at the beginning. There were many... Uh, persons in the audience, very famous persons, and person on Tivas. He had at the beginning 500 visitors or attendants, and from time to time it was, it was about 200 until the end in 1941. Those are the lectures that Jung delivered between 1933 and 1941 at the Eteha. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you, the beginning of your work. And your dissertation was on Hermione Hug Helmuth. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, naturally, it's, it's uh, Austrian. Okay. Uh, Hermine von Hug Helmuth. Hermine is a uh, German name. Uh, Hug Helmuth is a little bit... Uh, not her real name. She was Hermine von Hug, Hug von Hugenstein. And she was the first woman 
which Freud supported as a child analyst, but uh, finally she was murdered by the nephew, which she raised and which she she used for to 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 explain her ideas. This was a very tragic um, story because. Um, it showed all these uh, these problems which were in Jung's early circle. She was very dependent from a more sadistic analyst, and she had a very bad relationship to her sister, whose son this was. It was an illegitimate son, and she with the help or the support of her analyst, she made him very desperate. And in one of his desperate moods, he, uh, he uh, murdered her. He, he took her on the throat and she died. And what year was that? It was in 1924. So she was a disciple of Freud's. Yes. He was a teacher and uh, retired very early when he was about 40. And um, I don't know, she had some food, uh, money for herself. I don't know how she earned it. And uh, she wrote some, some articles uh, which supported the Freudian view uh, against Jung's. So your training initially was in what school of psychology? Uh, I trained uh, when I was working this this, uh, this research. I went to the Freudian groups because I wanted to to write this, this history of the Freudian views. Mm. I was very interested and I thought it's very modern <laughs> and it's very well done. And naturally, there was a gap of time. Uh, the, the story which I researched was in the beginning of the 20th century and the lectures which I attended were in the 80s. Um, but the sense of this uh, orthodox uh, Freudian thinking uh, helped me to, to understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a real gap between this, these two things, uh, the research in this early history and the actual training or listening uh, at the psychoanalytic seminary. Into so what did you ultimately take away from her story? I didn't know when when my book came out, uh, it was not welcomed by the Freudian by the Freudian groups mm-hmm. um, because her story was suppressed until until now. And when she when there was a, a trial, nobody said that she was a Freudian, mm, okay. <laughs> and they said, "Oh, we didn't know her. They sometimes came and so, and her works were not." Uh, uh, mentioned and her her relation was downplayed and this is until now 
it's said she was a pioneer, she was the first, it was wonderful. <laughs> and the, this story was, is not mentioned again. And it it's until from, from 2000, uh, 1925 until now, it has not much changed. But for me, it was a deep walk into these mechanisms and stories and controversies. And uh, it is some months ago that I, I got a mail from, from a stepdaughter of the surviving murderer. Um, he married, has, he was sentenced for, uh, I think, about 10 years of prison and married twice and the wife of the second um, the second wife had two daughters and I had contact with his daughters. So he was married when he was incarcerated and and fathered children? I don't know. He had no children after incarceration. He, okay. uh, he uh, I don't know really, and she didn't tell me really what he did, but he was a very uh, helpful father for these two uh, girls and they appreciated him very much he was very interested in culture and uh, literature and helped them to find their, their profession and uh, they didn't know the story they didn't know but, the story no they came across through my book and they, they found out through your book Yes, yes. And so I found your book in it's. It was only published in German, though, right? Is it? It's not been translated into English. No. Okay. So it is available in German, and I will provide a link to that in the show notes. Um, this yes. story, her story, reminds me a little bit of Sabina Spielrein. How you're saying that Hug Helmuth was a disciple of Freud's and and it was kind of hidden and she didn't get really any, any attention or credit for her work. And that, does that at all remind you of Spielrein? Uh, naturally, I, I studied Spielrein at that time, it was in the eighties. And mm -hmm. at that time, Spielrein was not yet uh, discovered mm -hmm. so much, so, so called. And um, naturally both, have some in common, but they're also they're very different. The work of of Helmut is um, how do I say? It's a, a strange work. Strange <laughs> work. Okay. It's it's hidden autobiographical, and it's. Um, it's in favor of something. It's not coming out of her. Only coming out of her uh, very distorted. Though she uh, had something in common with Eugen Bleuler, which is not, um, the, she had the, the, she was a synesthetist. I don't know if you know it. Synesthesia is uh, that you see colors if you see letters 
or music or something. And you mentioned Bloiler. He was Jung's boss. Yes, he was a director of this clinic. And Jung began as a voluntary doctor at first and became the first assistant, then the second assistant. Then he cancelled his job and married and wanted to go back to Basel. But this doesn't, didn't function. And after half a year, he, he could back, come, come back in 1903. And uh, he replaced the secondary doctor who fell ill. And finally, he could take this job. And when he came back in 2003, there was association experiments were still going on. It was not his invention. It was not his invention. Okay, so let's get into that a little bit. And then I also want to tie in uh, Sabina Spielrein. So Jung did not then develop the association experiments, which I like to call the word association experiments to be a little bit more specific. They already existed there at the Berkholsley Clinic? Yes, it was Bloiler. Who, uh, who was very much interested in that because he, uh, it was his personal idea that in the psychotic patients, the association is um, distorted. The associations are divided in several, several apartments, several parts. And uh, he wanted to, to, to study this, but that was, I think, merely his idea. The association experiments was a whole movement in psychology at that time. All began to experiment with, with psychological uh, issues, and these experiments were, were made in... Uh, in, in Leipzig, in Germany, in Wilhelm Bund, um, in, in Jena, Eastern, East Germany, from Zien, um, in, in, uh, in England, from Galton, and so on. It is, he was not the first. What you just listed, that was all before Jung? That was also during Jung and okay. before Jung. During before and before, and, okay. Yes. And so the equipment there at the Berkholsley that you uh, later demonstrated that I read in the introduction and was also featured in the movie A Dangerous Method yeah. about the relationship between Jung or amongst Jung, Freud, and Sabine Spielrein. Tell us about that apparatus that is the word association experiment. Uh, for the word ex- uh, association experiment, you need nothing uh, except a list of words, uh, uh, a timer, and a pencil to write it down. A list of words, a timer, and a pencil. Yes. Um, and this was, the fa- this was enough for several uh, longer studies, publications. Mm-hmm. And um, the new thing which Jung tells uh, is 
that once he had the idea that perhaps Jung, uh, Freud's um, ideas could help him go to understand it better. Bloyla mm -hmm. um, was also um, a good uh, reader of Freud. He, uh, he knew him from this uh, uh, brain research studies and he was, he reviewed many of his publications. Also the studies about Historia, he, he published um, a review very favorite and said it's the best we have, uh, we have in the last years. And, and uh, he um, wanted that Jung made a, a lecture about uh, Freud's Traumdeutung, uh, about a smaller text über den Traum, about the dream. In the meeting they had uh, all two weeks. And so Jung came in contact with Freud's ideas. And if the understanding what was new was that when he studied uh, the regularities in these experiments with words, um, he, uh, he exposed many uh, persons in the clinic to these experiments. He, uh, they, they made this experiment with doctors, with wives, with the waiters, with the students. And it was, uh, say, with, together with another, with another colleague, Franz Ricklin, they studied 140 uh, persons who had undergone this association test. And what Jung especially um, um, impressed was that he could uh, confirm the, uh, the finding of another researcher that the prolonged reaction time uh, is a hint for an emotional uh, complex behind. This, uh, this was uh, Theodor Zien, who also said this word complex still. But um, the step which Jung made was, he said, in this reaction words and the, which follow of this prolonged time, we can see an unconscious, um, uh, something of the unconscious. We can, we can uh, grip the, un the unconscious in if we study what was prolonged and what word, which uh, is hinting here, uh, then we can see what are the unconscious problems of this person. It wasn't, they were not always patients, it was also his wife, his, his boss, his colleague. Right, right. And, and people can see in the movie, uh, it's not a documentary, it's a Hollywood adaptation yeah. of the book, A Most Dangerous Method by Dr. John Kerr. It's called A Dangerous Method. And you can see Jung administer this 
word association test to his wife in the film. And Sabina Spielrein is the one is is his assistant in that scene. That's not a uh, uh, documentary. No, um, I think so. so but uh, it's known that Sabina Spielrein too was involved in the psychogalvanic experiments later when the word association tests were were made in 2004 she, she was a patient yes a normal normal patient she was nine months a patient from august uh, 1904 bis beginning of 1905 maybe she also participated uh, but she didn't participate in this experiment with the galvanometer. So now is the addition of the galvanometer something, how did that come about? So you had originally said that for the word association experiment, we just need a list of words, a timer and a pencil. And then yeah. the galvanometer, how did that come about? It was that an addition to the test? Yes, it was an addition to the test. Um, it came from a colleague of Jung, Otto Veragut, uh, who was impressed by a lecture of a mechanical engineer or a special person um, who had a lecture in the group of um, Swiss Society for Natural Sciences. And he uh, proposed this experiment. And Veragut, who had a professorship for, at the university for, um, for, I think, psychotherapy, something like that. He also, yes, he was also a psychotherapist. And he began experiments together with this man, his Eugene Konrad Müller, and he studied how um, one, how persons under stress and under normal conditions react to this psychogalvanic experiment. And this is an experiment where you measure the skin conductance in a low circuit of current and the middle, the, the central element of this experiment is a very, very sensitive uh, device for measuring uh, low current. It's until now, uh, I know it's the most sensitive measurement device because it's uh, without friction. The current goes through a coil and if there's a little deviation, uh, there's moving a thread, where is a little mirror. And with a lamp, you go to this mirror and you see when the mirror is uh, changing a little bit, mm -hmm. this direction, you can lead this to a to a scale scala and uh, and see the di the difference 
it is a it makes a difference much greater than it really is because it's it's true light is it in, instead of a hand normal normal in normal experiments is through light and this makes that it must be dark if if this to make this experiment and you need several persons to move to move this, this light when the current is moving a person has to move this uh, uh, this device and then from this device it goes to a um, other measurement device which which make it which makes it uh, visible now I saw a photo in your presentation of the equipment all laid out on a desk. Is that the original equipment that Jung used? All uh, of the equipment that you just described. I think this picture, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, maybe it, maybe it was, uh, um, but the, the, it was not complete when we found it in the museum and there was missing this device which um, uh, which made these deviations of the mirror light to a real written curve it's it's very complicated yes yes it sounds like it I'm sorry that I can't explain it very well, but when I read it before, uh, before I started, I always didn't understand either. <laughs> right. Other than, other than if Jung describes, but it's <clears throat> in fact it's really easy. I'm trying to understand then the addition of this this galvanometer. I, I know I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Uh, the galvanometer. Right, that in in the in the film, and I keep mentioning the film because it provides a visual of how this works, and and I'm getting to why later. But Jung, when he was about to administer the test to his wife, he took a big sponge and he wet the sponge, and then he dabbed it on these metal plates where the uh, person that that. Is he's testing, put their hands. And that's how the skin reactivity would be measured by this current. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's only fun to the, this equipment. I can tell you that these uh, persons who, who, who looked for their equipment for the film came to the museum and wanted to, to, to take it out, but the director of the museum refused to give mm -hmm. it. Refused to give it. Okay. And so they invented it. I see that they also didn't understand because there are many uh, crucial mistakes how it functioned really. Because at first it had to be dark, that you see the light ah, okay. is coming to the mirror and reflecting to the scale. And then is something, then a person has to, to move. Uh, where the light is to move a, an, uh, a scala. And um, then this needs a device to make this movement to a written document. I was wondering if you would allow me to include that photo from your slide presentation in the show notes 
uh, for this episode so that the listeners can have a visual of what this contraption looks like. Yes, that's, that's important. Yes. And then I'm wondering, is this still being used today? Because I was told when I was trying to put this episode together and I was reaching out to some of the analysts I know, I was told that the candidates in training to become Jungian analysts were still taught today the the word association experiment and they were required to learn how to administer it, how to give it to someone and write up the results. Yes, but not a psychogalvanic experiment. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's now buried in the museum. <laughs> and um, there was a, a colleague who still worked with it in the ATR for his dissertation. It mm. was in the late 70s, I think. And um, it's difficult to bring it into function. And also, it's not... Um, not so important. Um, also, Jung himself saw that it's only uh, a trial to 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 give other um, markers for a emotional response of the person, and um, he published all these things only in English in American uh, journals. Uh, that is perhaps because uh, Adolf Meyer, who was a friend of Sebuk Holsley, um, the predecessor, and Bloiler, sent sometimes uh, persons to study at Sebuk Holsley, and they published in, in English, and though uh, Jung's works only were published in English about the psychogalvanometer mm-hmm. experiments. And um, the problem is uh, one didn't really understand, although Jung himself, uh, what is measured here. Because what is it? Uh, it is uh, why does the uh, resistance of the, the skin change? And some said, oh, it's a pressure which changed. It's... Uh, that that you're sweating, uh, or it's sus, and um, it was really not clear. And as I see and I studied, uh, it's until now it's not really clear. It was uh, an American researcher, Boris Sidis, who made many research in this, and he could prove that it's not. Uh, that it's not the pressure and he could prove that it's not how wet the the skin is. Okay. Uh, It's something electromagnetic force, but it's not clear what it is. And um, yes, the, the line to the lie detector is also very not not about not uh, in the line of Hume and it is now the blood pressure, the heart beat, uh, the, the breath and all together is measured in these things and this it's not the skin response. 
It's not it's the skin response, the, okay? The psychogalvanic experiment was really an experiment which Jung didn't follow up further. When he um, quit his job in 1909, he wanted to, <clears throat> to stay at a uh, at the laboratory for uh, as a director, but it was not allowed from the from the government. And so, although Jung was cut off of this laboratory, and um, after him, uh, it was not pursued anymore, really. So, uh, what I'm curious about is how the modern day lie detector test came into being and whether or not it was influenced by this psychogalvanic uh, apparatus that Jung used at the Berkholsley Clinic in Zurich. Yes, uh, I think it really had for sure an influence. <clears throat> um, but the influence is what the Americans made of it. In, in the German-speaking countries, the lie detector has no real value. It's only um, survived as a play for children you can buy. <laughs> it's, not, um, it's not taken serious, I think. Yes, and it's not actually admissible in court here in the United States because it has been shown to be incredibly unreliable. And there are recommendations on how to, quote, beat the test. So the lie detector test is measuring the body, right? It's measuring yeah. heart rate and breathing and reactions in the body. And Jung's concept of the complex, the psychological complex, complexes show up in the body as well. And so why would yeah. this test not be a good indicator of lies? It, it, it indicates complexes, right? But not necessarily whether someone's telling the truth or not. Yes. But um, the problem is the problem of, of autosuggestion. Su suggestion, autosuggestion. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. Suggestion? Suggest. Um, uh, in in uh, the book, Halsley, hypnosis was uh, introduced um, long before Bloiler began his directorship. It was introduced by his teacher and predecessor, Forel, in um, 1887 and so there was a tradition of of up looking for access to the unconscious mm -hmm. and um, for real that hypnosis is works through suggestions through uh, how do I say it in English suggestion is it German suggestion suggestion yes when you say Farrell, you mean Dr. August Farrell, the founder of the Zurich School of Psychiatry. Yes, yes. Okay. And you can also suggest to yourself that you have nothing to do with this 
with his uh, words. You can you can uh, change the numbers, and this you was can change also, the numbers. Uh, you can, um, if you have a word and you, sh you uh, in German it's a stimulus word. Right. You have to make a reaction. Mm -hmm. um, then perhaps it's something which bothers you, and you you would would uh, face it or, the, or, or, or take some time. But you can say yourself, "Oh no, I say the next word I do, uh, that I can do it." So, and you can uh, make another constellation by yourself. And I found it very interesting when I just a few days read the dissertation of of um, Ludwig Binswanger, who was uh, he became very famous later on as the director of an asylum in Konstanz, Kreuzlingen, mm -hmm. where you sent many patients and also boiler, private sanatorium. And he made a dissertation about the psychogalvanic experiment in German, the only, uh, and with Jung as an as a, as supervisor and as test person. And also had another colleague of Jung who who was who didn't want to to be, show up his complexes <laughs> definitely mm -hmm. and he also made the, he 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 tried what comes out if he doesn't say anything is if he doesn't want to do and really the curve was very 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 low <laughs> and uh, so as uh, this says Ludwig Binswanger proved that you can influence the outcome by the will by the will yes the will is is lower if you are tired but if you are strong you can you can make it mm -hmm. and uh, and it's it's an argument against the lie detector the argument against the lie detector, yes, and this is really important. And I wanted to have you come on here today to talk about this because there have been lives ruined by lie detector test results being taken as the final word on whether or not someone is telling the truth. Yes, it's very naive. Very it naive. Was, Thank it's you. Too naive, also for eighteen hundred and nine, uh, nineteen hundred and oh six. This was when Binswanger made his dissertation. What did you teach at the Jung Institute? I taught at the Jung Institute a history of psychiatry, uh, Jungian, uh, of the Bokholzli, the, the Zurich School, Bleuler, Forel, Jung, this line, and Sabina Spielrein. And once I spoke about Gregory Bateson and Jung. There's so much interest in Sabina Spielrein, and I don't often have someone uh, that knows her history as well as you do on this podcast. So could we segue into her life, her work, and how she fits into all of this? What would you like to tell people about her? Oh, it differs from who is the people. <laughs> yes, I know that's a huge that's a huge question for me to ask you. Yes. I just want to say she too has a tragic story. And 
a lot about her life and work wasn't known until fairly recently when a box of her letters was discovered in a basement in Geneva. Yes. She was a very important person, and I think she influenced Jung very deeply, and I don't want that to be overlooked. So what would you like to tell us about her? Yes, uh, perhaps you read my paper, which I wrote about her. It's uh, an analysis of her um, record at the Book Holsley, which mm -hmm. was published um, some years before my, my analysis. And he was, she was the first case where Bloiler and Jung that tried to make a new kind of treating. Naturally, it was, there were very well conditions because she was a private patient of, of Bloiler. She had her own nurse. He, she had an, um, her, her parents paid very much. Mm -hmm. And when she was brought in the book Holsley in a night, there was Jung alone at the book Holsley because nobody else was there. Bloiler was not here, the assistants were asleep. And he um, had a person which was not usual for the book Holsley clients because she was a Russian person from a very rich family and she had what he thought be hysteric uh, hysteric. Uh, um, <laughs> Her symptoms. She exhibited hysteria. Because normally, uh, um, hysteria was a very seldom diagnosis in the book. Closely, I could look with with my colleague, and there was only only one hand uh, diagnosis. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> because uh, the people of the Zurich area were very poor. The, the women had problems with depression, uh, with illegitimate child, and and so, and they were they were not hysteric in this uh, in this sense. Mm -hmm. And he began to 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 study her, to study with her, her symptoms and what she thought about what he could find out about uh, how the symptoms came, were, were developed. And he's, he had so much time for her <laughs> that was very unusual. Yeah. Because uh, the Bukholsley had more than 300, 300 patients and there was only a few, few doctors. Mm -hmm. A director, a secondary doctor and two assistants, only four persons for 300 Wow. Patients. But uh, Bloiler supported the time which Jung um, gave to her. And uh, naturally, that was not treatment like Freud, who said you have to abreagieren and then it's good. No catharsis. It was a very difficult and very multifaceted therapy. Mm -hmm. Euler and Jung wrote more than 20 letters to the parents, for example. 
and had very um, uh, made very much effort to free her from her parents and from her family. So Bloiler and Jung spent a lot of time yes. on this one patient, Sabina Spielrein's yes. treatment, because yes. they were working out a new form of treatment. They wanted to work out a new form of treatment to, to find out what is in what unconscious conflicts uh, are behind these symptoms. So that sounds like the word association test, which determines, right? It determines complex indicators. So things like prolonged reaction time and these stimulus words that touch on complexes that we like to hide or things that we're not conscious of. Yeah. So they were using Freud's new talking technique on Sabina Spielrein, right? Uh, yes, it was this technique which they saw should uh, would be behind uh, the association technique which Freud um, explained it in his Traumdeutung book, Stream Analysis, mm-hmm. and um, in the studies of Hysteria. Where did it go from there with Sabina Spielrein? She actually she actually got better over time. It seemed like a short amount of time. And then she entered the medical school there and she became a psychoanalyst. Yes, uh, but uh, the progress was not so unbroken, I think. Um, No, I didn't mean to be flip about it. It was not, she did not have an easy go of it. They worked through, they worked through a lot. Yes. And when she uh, was released, she herself said, oh, I know, don't know whether I can cope with my visits. And uh, she began, nevertheless, uh, her studies at the university, but she was not accepted at first because she had a, uh, she only had a letter from, from Jung who said, there's a, a young woman who wants to study medicine. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, that's not enough. That's not enough. Okay. It comes from the clinic and we'll study now. That's not, that's, she, we don't take her. And though she had another letter from Bloiler who said he suffered from some problems and is now healthy uh, and she wins, wants to study. <laughs> and that it made the difference. It was Bloiler who pushed her, her to, to study. And he also wrote to the, to the parents, your daughter cannot come back to Russia um, if she wants to be healthy. She has to stay here and study. Mm-hmm. It's very unusual, I think, for, mm-hmm. especially for this time in 1905. Right. So she was truly a pioneer, hence the title of the book that you contributed a chapter to uh, Sabina Spielrein, the forgotten pioneer of psychoanalysis. Yes, she was a she was a, um, a pioneer for, I think, really for Bloiler's uh, attempt to change the therapy. I see, because he 
he supported the edu higher education of women who was not the case in in uh, by freud and his wife had studied languages and was had a doctorate and he found it really important that there's a change in how women are treated it was Bleuler, not Jung, and you can see it in several uh, instances that it that Jung would not have supported her as a as a student at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Had it not been for the insistence or the support and yeah. the encouragement yeah. of Eugen yeah. Bleuler, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So, what else could you tell us about women? in the history of psychoanalysis, was there anybody else that paved the way? Naturally, women who paved the way, uh, especially Russian women, I heard uh, the conference yesterday about a young woman, uh, Tatiana Rosenthal, but her, their fates were very tragic, she also, um, committed suicide as another pioneer too. It was really not so a glorious time. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, there are many problems at the time that uh, in, in Russia, the, uh, the political situation, in Germany, the political situation. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to say what is the reason, but there are no, like, I don't know, glorious, Persons, Helene Deutsch, perhaps, was one of the first uh, women in Vienna. But at that time, in 1904, when Sabina Spielrein began her studies in 1905, there were no women in Freud's society. And there was always slander about medical students, female students who were generally uh, hysteric and monsters and so on. It was uh, a fight on several levels. But for Bleuler and the Bukholsley, it was clear that women were supported. The Bukholsley was also the first clinic who took medical female doctors as doctors. That was, uh, the, at the beginning, the females could study, but they were not employed. And there was the than one woman who founded a clinic to, uh, to employ female doctors. That was the only way to change this. And it's still in use today, the clinic, right? Which clinic? The Burkholsley. The Burkholsley clinic is still a university clinic, but she has a totally different structure. At the time when Jung was there, it was like uh, it was directly connected with the government, like the university. It was a part of the university, and the the Zurich government could could say everything. If if Bleuler wanted a holiday, he had to ask the government. It's not anymore um, a part of the. Government, it's a it's a company. I see. Our company, and that change totally. Uh, the, the total is is a very big change. 
it's not anymore this uh, this community who can change it it's only you have to be responsible for a for an administrator a ceo and uh, so on and it was um Forel who fought for this structure which enabled Jung and Bleuler to make their things. Because before uh, Forel, there were other problems because the Bokosli was in the, in the middle of a political dispute about the rights of the people. And the one said, oh, the, our people were... Uh, shut away and they make what with them what they want and they um, there was always a political fight and there was an administrator of the clinic who had extremely much power for example he could say oh this patient goes out today the administrator not not the director of the clinic oh i see yeah so it was for who changed it and who's made, made away this <laughs> This structure that the medical and he secured that the, that the medical direction is the leading direction. Yes, and that's not the case today anymore. So the book Halsley abandons the name. Nobody knows if now what is a book Halsley <laughs> because okay. it's it's a psychiatric university clinic now. It was before too, but but the book Halsley is abandoned. There are a couple more things that I would like to ask you about before we wrap up today. Uh, from your presentation, you mentioned Theodore Flournoy, and he was a mentor and an inspiration for both Jung and Bloiler. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about him and his wildly popular book, From India to the Planet Mars, which is still in print today, over a hundred years later. Yes, uh, I think it was uh, married of Sonu Shandasani, who yes. made a new edition. Uh, and he also values this person very much for Jung. And um, he was important for both Bloiler and Jung for Bloiler because he um, made a book about this synesthesia problem, synesthesia, synesthesia, synesthesia. Problem, mm -hmm. which also uh, Bloiler had. He was a synesthetist and his first bigger publication was about this phenomenon. For the listeners, would you tell us what synesthesia is? Synesthesia is the, the phenomenon that you, if you hear a name or, or see a letter, uh, if you hear something, you can you see a, a color. For example, I don't know really, but but if if someone asked ask Bloiler, could you say me the name of this? He's like, oh, that was blue. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so he decided together with, with a colleague to, to uh, describe this phenomenon uh, for also for persons who don't have this, these characteristics. And this was... Um, 
phenomenon uh, 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 effect, which was in the middle of some research at that time in, in, in uh, France. And in Geneva, it was Schroner who made experiments about this and wrote a, a big book about that. And so Bleuler and Flurner were connected. And Flurner also made uh, experiments with mediums, especially with one medium, Helen Smith. Uh, she had an, was her pseudonym mm -hmm. over years. And um, he explained the phenomenons as cryptomnesias. Cryptonesia. Cryptonesia. That means that this person had experienced things which she lay now in the unconscious, which were forgotten. And by some uh, incidents, it comes, comes out and it looks like it would be clairvoyance or so. And this is a book uh, from India to the planet Mars, where he describes this. There was, but uh, there was um, a story about this because this medium uh, felt betrayed by the book because she had felt she is the collaborator of Florna. And she now saw that she was seen as a patient or as someone defective. Right. And she made a big uh, trial about this a bit and had support for that because she was not asked for the manuscript and Flurna uh, made a compromise with her he shared the the royalties gave her the half and with the other half he founded uh, a journal Archiv der Psychologie and so uh, he he um, made his freedom with her. He founded the journal, would you say the name again? Archiv de Psychologie. It's in French. It's from the French part. I don't really know how to pronounce Psychologie. Archiv de Psychologie. And there uh, also, also Jung published many things in, the, in, this, in this archive. It was one of the first um, journals in for, psycho for psychology. So what was your interest in that book, From India to the Planet Mars? Um, my interest was secondary. I read it because, because uh, Jung that it was so important for him. And uh, then I found this story about the medium very moving mm -hmm. because Jung made the same thing with his with his uh, cousin yes but he was not so uh, nice with her as Flona was because he um, he made he had made these experiments with her when she she was 15 and it was made as a play and um, uh, uh, more than 10 years later, 
He said, said I made experiments with a hysteric person uh, who had a, a psychotic mother and so on. Right. It was really terrible how he characterized her. her. And um, her mother had stopped these experiments. Jung's mother had participated, Jung's sister had participated, and he said nothing about about these two persons, like about her niece, <laughs> about her, yes, the niece of the mother. And he pertained this view until the end. Um, he didn't change something about about the uh, approach to her, really. So what can we take away from these two studies? They're both named Helen, uh, Jung's cousin, Helly, and the subject of Flournoy's book, The Medium, Helen Smith, which, as you said, is a pseudonym. What can we take from their... I don't even know what to call it, because it can be characterized so many different ways... Their yes. channeling, their automatic writing. Yeah. Um, what can we take? Yes, we can take very different things. Right. Um, it was a very unthankful rule, uh, role model for for women at that time to be a to be a, a subject of study for men. Mm-hmm. And Flournoy's test person complained extremely, and um, Flournoy himself didn't really openly discuss this, though the research showed his that he reacts by by the founding of this uh, journal and paying her. Her, uh, the half of the royalties of the book. Uh, I think Flona is uh, without is is okay, but uh, for for Jung this thing is for me not quite really okay. It's a mixed thing because afterwards, after he uh, earned his doctorate with a, with a story about her, he met her in in Paris and. I think he didn't say her anything, and he mm-hmm. went to the opera yeah. and so on. And um, um, but didn't really change his mind until I don't know what's, whether it's the end of the life. But I well, afterwards, after he had met her in Paris and went to the opera and and to the concert and museum and all the things. Um, he he held a um, he spoke uh, at a conference of the Swiss um, doctors and spoke exactly the same. He said, oh, "There's a hysterical woman, and uh, she was lying then, and and he had a terrible family." <laughs> and, uh, he it it really didn't improve after he met her in Paris. There she was, um, a dressmaker, and very well installed, um, and came back 
to to Basel where she lived and uh, opened a, um, a salon for for dressmaking. And this is Jung's cousin we're talking about, right? Yes, it's Jung's cousin. Mm-hmm. And um, but she f- fell ill, ill on tuberculosis and died really early. My question is, and I would like to do a whole separate episode about this because it is important to understand what was going on with, for instance, this Helen Smith, Helene, Helen, Helen Smith, the subject in From India to the Planet Mars. I mean, she claimed to be the reincarnation of Marie Antoinette, a Hindu princess from the 15th century India and a regular visitor to the planet Mars where she spoke Martian and she painted these, the landscapes of the, of Mm -hmm. Mars. Mm -hmm. And she, she appeared to speak Martian fluently. So what is going on here? I wonder what, what's really going on. Are these past life memories? Are these fantasies? Are these a compensation for something in their waking life? Has it ever been determined? Uh, it has It has studied, but I think not definitely determined. Yeah. It was Flournoy that is, it is um, unconscious memories, cryptomessias. But um, he, uh, it's, it's, I think it, Flournoy was not sure at the end of the life if it's really true because he never found such a test person again. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I really don't know. I, I, I not exactly studied it, but I know that that this cryptomnesia was the approach of Flournoy and also of, of Jung. But Jung was, um, quite a little bit um, more selfish, I think, with, with his case. Mm-hmm. And until the end of, uh, um, until his seminar on analytical psychology in, 2000, uh, in 1925, he, he, uh, he made not a good picture of her. Yeah, not a good picture of her. So that's a a subject for another day. Uh, There's something that I, one more thing before we wrap up here, that I neglected to ask you about the presentation of yours that I keep referring to. In one of the slides, there is a photo of L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology. There was no text on that slide. So I was wondering what the accompanying uh, talk was about him. It was about the lie detector. (laughs) Okay. And uh, I, um, Jung had this book in his library. That is only what I know. Jung had Hubbard's book, Dianetics, in his library? Yes, yes. But it says nothing, perhaps it was sent to him or whatever. Mm. Yes, it is. I think there is no direct. Uh, but naturally, all um, lie detector and Jung is often connected. But I see no connection, really. You see no connection. And so Hubbard 
Hubbard use the lie detector to test? Did he develop his own? Um, I think this what is today used is is different. I don't know what Hubbard really did. Okay, but it was in the course of this uh, popularization of um, of these lie detectors, and which you although which we told before. Um, that, but I, it's only the, uh, how do you say, a connection is there in, in idea, but not really in person, I think. I see. I see. Okay. I want to thank you again, Dr. Grafnold, for joining us today and for sharing everything that you know with us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you too for your interest. Please visit the website speakingofyung, that's J-U-N-G, dot com for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and now on Amazon Music, and it will be available later in the week on our YouTube channel. Jungi and Laura. You can also listen to this episode on your Amazon Echo device simply by saying, Alexa, play Speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. Links to Amazon's new Echo devices can be found in the show notes. So with special thanks to Dr. Murray Stein, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Jung.